Try not to trip on your cape there, Superman. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. If road trips in Texas in the spring are known for anything, it's the vast swaths of glorious color that line the shoulders and medians along the sides of the highway, from blue bonnets and Indian paintbrushes to sunflowers and foxglove. This week we look at the fascinating story behind Texas wildflowers. But first, what's your favorite place to look at wildflowers in Texas? Well, once upon a time, when we went to college at UTD, there was a a big field uh, right by one of the main drives behind the uh, Computer Science and Engineering Building that was uh, some sort of wildflower uh, research sanctuary thing. I remember there being a sign for it. And I used to think, you know, hey, that'd be really great to check out all the wildflowers here. But um, I'm not 100% certain that I ever actually saw any wildflowers in that field. I just remember a lot of tall grass. So um, I think that would have been cool. Well, uh, for me, it's just driving down I-35 between between Hillsborough and Waco. There's just some good stretches of open, open land and open shoulder. And every spring there's always just blue bonnets as far as you can see indian paintbrushes it's gorgeous well uh i like to look at wildflowers anywhere as long as i'm in texas i'm good (laughs) it covers all your bases say they're all over the place april is wildflower month in texas and for the spring and early summer nearly every bit of the 800,000 acres of highway right-of-way is filled to the brim with a riotous color from hundreds of varieties of wildflowers what many people realize What many people don't realize is that this is not an accident. Since the 1970s, the Texas Department of Transportation has been the nation's largest gardener, seeding and maintaining the wildflower fields that grow along the vast Texas highway system. The genesis of this idea was the Highway Beautification Act of 1965, signed by President Lyndon Johnson and championed by his first lady, Texan Lady Bird Johnson, and championed by his first lady, Lady Bird Johnson. Mrs. Johnson had had a lifelong love of nature and had long despaired that the national highway system, which was implemented in the 1940s and 50s, had done nothing to preserve the beauty of the land. After leaving the White House and returning to Texas, Mrs. Johnson continued to champion the idea that the highways of the country, and especially of her home state, could showcase the natural beauty of the land. She recognized that wildflowers and other native plants could lift the spirit and that conserving them and using them in our everyday landscapes were critical to our future. Since the 1930s, Texas had been landscaping and beautifying the roadsides, and after 1968, Lady Bird sought to expand this program, and she championed the planting of native Texas wildflowers along the Texas Highway, and the Texas Highway Department became the custodian of that dream. Today, there are over 5,000 varieties of wildflower planted along Texas highways. According to Texas Highways Magazine, years of beautification experience have yielded valuable knowledge. For instance, the most effective roadside horticulture mimics nature. Plantings of single species don't do well. Roadsides are most stable when natural combinations of grasses, legumes, and wildflowers are encouraged. The varieties complement each other form better ground cover, and are healthier, hardier, and more drought-resistant. However, there are a few wildflowers that are a bit more common than others, 
and each of them has its own interesting story to tell. If only flowers could talk. Few Texans are not moved by the sight of those first patches of the deep blue of the state flower, the blue bonnet, covering the shoulders of the highways in the first week of spring. The blue bonnet is a species of the lupinous genus of plants. The flower gets its name because the petals form the shape of a sunbonnet of what was worn by the pioneer women. On March 7, 1901, the 27th Texas Legislature adopted the Lupinus subcarnosa species as the state flower. In the past, it was also called buffalo clover, wolf flower, and in Spanish, el canejo, or the rabbit. There are at least six species of blue bonnet that grow in Texas, el texanus, el harvardi, el conesis, el perinesis, and el platinesis. And if you are a flower expert, you can Twitter our account at Texas Podcast with pronunciation suggestions. <laughs> the Lupinus Texanus is actually known as the Texas Blue Bonnet and is the most common in the state. So in 1971, the legislation was amended to include El Texanus and, quote, any other variety of blue bonnet not heretofore recorded as the state flower. So if you're a blue bonnet, Texas wants you. And as we said way back in episode 30, it is not illegal to pick blue bonnets. But if you look at Facebook, you might get the impression that it is a law that you have to take pictures of your kids every spring in a blue bonnet field. Well, according to Texas folklore, the origin of the blue bonnet in Texas came to us from the Comanche. During a bitter winter many years ago, a band of Comanche was suffering greatly. Their medicine men and chiefs spoke in council about how they could break winter's spell. They decided that soon they must sacrifice their most prized possessions to appease the great spirit. The little girl overheard the council and decided that she herself would also sacrifice her most cherished possession, a little doll adorned with blue jay feathers. When everyone went to sleep, she burned the doll and scattered the ashes to the wind. The tribe awoke the next morning, and the snow was gone, the air was warm, and the hillside was blanketed with a beautiful new flower. The buffalo herds came back and loved to eat this new flower, and the people were saved. And this is a story that you can read in a very famous book that I think all of our children in the elementary schools in Texas have to read called The Legend of the Blue Bonnet. Despite blue being the most common feature, there are a number of varieties of blue bonnets floating around, some due to mutation and others due to genetic engineering. White blue bonnets, in fact, are common enough that there's another story uh, conjecturing that the colors of the first Texas flag were inspired by fields of blue interspersed with white. More unusual, however, is the Alamo Fire, or Texas Maroon Blue Bonnet, engineered by, of course, an Aggie botanist from Texas A&M University. There's another legend about the rare pink blue bonnet, which came from Tejano sources, which holds that pink blue bonnets originally only grew downstream from the Alamo Mission. Once the blue bonnets that grew there were white blue bonnets, but so much blood was shed into the river that the flowers took on the tint of the water. The pink blue bonnet, the legend goes, would only grow in the shadow of the mission and would be a symbol of the struggle of Texans to survive and those who died to make Texas free. The Indian paintbrush, or prairie fire, is probably the second most common wildflower on the Texas highway, usually co-starring with the blue bonnet. There's a reason for this, though. Genus Castahea, which ranges across the Americas, Europe, and North Asia, is a parasitic plant, relying on other plants to survive. Besides its great beauty, Indian paintbrush has a number of practical uses. While its roots and green parts are toxic, the flowers themselves have useful amounts of the element 
selenium and was used by Native Americans as a hair wash for medicinal purposes and as a condiment to fresh greens. Like blue bonnets, Indian paintbrush grows in and through much of the state. Among the more interesting stories about the origin of the Indian paintbrush is a story that holds that a Native American painter wanted to capture the colors and beauties of a sunset, and he asked the Great Spirit for guidance. The next night, an old man and a beautiful young woman came to him in a dream carrying a white deerskin. They told him to use it as a canvas, and as the evening came, he should head into a hillside, and he would find all he needed to paint. He went to the hillside with all of his paintbrushes. As the sun set, he worked feverishly on the deerskin, casting aside brushes as he changed colors. His painting was the most beautiful one he'd ever done, and it finally captured the beauty of the sunset. The next morning, as the sun rose, he looked out onto the hill and discovered where he tossed aside his brushes, there were flowers in every color of the sunset. One of the more common wildflowers in the drier parts of the state, ranging from the Panhandle all the way down to the Rio Grande Valley, is the Indian blanket. This flower is a member of the sunflower family, but it's smaller than the sunflower. This bright red and yellow flower is also known as a firewheel and is part of the Gallardia family. It ranges from northern Mexico all the way up to the southern U.S. and is a relatively short-lived flower. Mexican legend says that it was once entirely yellow and was prized by the Aztec people. When Hernán Cortés conquered Mexico in 1519, it's said that the blood of the Aztecs stained the flower. Another legend recorded much later tells the story of a Native American girl lost on the prairie on a cold night praying to the great spirit for a blanket that her mother had woven for her father. When she awakens the next morning, the field is covered in Gallardia, which her people call blanket flower from then on. Although the Indian blanket grows throughout the Texas plains, it's actually the state flower of Oklahoma. We'll give them that one. Actual sunflowers have an interesting relationship with the state of Texas. The Cato Indians of East Texas, as well as numerous Native American people before them, gathered and cultivated sunflowers as a food source for centuries. But more than that, the tall, bright yellow flower holds special significance for the University of Texas Law School. Around the turn of the 20th century, a committee of faculty and students at the university met and decided that graduating students should wear caps and gowns, which had not been done before. The law students, angry that they weren't consulted in the matter, decided that if they had to pick an official graduation insignia, they would pick the wild sunflower. The reason was simple. Wildflowers, like lawyers, are widely distributed throughout the world. And just as the sunflower keeps its face turned towards the sun, lawyers turn to the light of justice. This tradition has lasted uh, ever since, and every graduate of the UT Law School bears the sunflower as their insignia. Try not to trip on your cape there, Superman. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just want to, I like to picture college graduations in the late 1800s is wearing whatever the heck you want to wear instead of caps and gowns. In the deserts of West Texas, there's two types of plants that are really commonly found flowering besides the highway, although blue bonnets and Indian paintbrushes will actually grow throughout the state. Now, both of these plants, though, are practical and useful desert plants in addition to having beautiful flowers. The yucca was and is of tremendous value, as nearly every part of the plant has a useful purpose. Both Native American people as well as Hispanic and Anglo settlers quickly learned to dry or roast the stalks to eat them, to use the fiber for ropes, and even to use the roots for soap. 
The prickly pear cactus was likewise invaluable to early Native people and continues to be a popular food source in Tejano and Mexican cooking. In fact, it was so important to early settlers that in 1901, the prickly pear flower was a close second to the blue bonnet in the state flower race. It's said that the prickly pear has kept man from starving more than any other plant in the state. Perhaps the most famous person who lived on prickly pear was the explorer Cabeza de Vaca, who we talked about way back in episode 43. De Vaca described in great detail his love for the fruit of the prickly pear, which he called the tuna. Nearly every part of the plant, besides the spikes, of course, are edible. Even the parasitic cochineal insects that live on the plant are able to be turned into a vibrant red dye, which became one of New Spain's top exports. The yellow flowers of the prickly pear are shaped like roses, and it's a subject of debate whether these are the actual yellow rose of Texas, since roses are one flower that are not actually native to Texas. Hmm. Don't tell the people of Tyler that. (laughs) Now, of course, there are many other varieties of wildflower in the state, from morning glory to foxglove and daisies to primrose. March, April, and May are prime blooming months in Texas. Dogwood festivals in Woodville and Palestine are held on the last two weekends in March and the first weekend in April. There are a number of bluebonnet trails throughout the state. One of the oldest bluebonnet trails is in Ennis, Texas, featuring more than 40 miles of well-marked routes. There are others in Washington County from Brenham and Chapel Hill, as well as in LaGrange and Fayette County. Farther west, the Highland Lakes Bluebonnet Trail loops through the scenic hill country, usually on the first two weekends in April. In northeast Texas, a signed wildflower route on the last full weekend in April showcases dozens of beautiful wild species between the towns of Avenger, Hugh Springs, and Linden. In Houston, there's the Azalea Trail in March, when the cultivated manicured gardens of some of the city's prestigious homes are open to the public. There's also a wildflower music festival in Richardson, Texas, that takes place in May, where the flowers are in full bloom, and yesterday's top pop, rock, and country artists bring back the glory of their evergreen hits. This year, it's their 25th anniversary and features the B-52s, the motels, bowling for soup, and shooter Jennings. Any discussion about the wildflowers of Texas would not be complete without discussing the National Wildflower Research Center. This center was established to increase public awareness and appreciation of North American flora and to facilitate research on native wildflowers, trees, shrubs, and grasses for their preservation and reestablishment. The idea for the center was formulated by Lady Bird Johnson as yet another extension of her concern about the rapid disappearance of natural areas. In her words, quote, The founding of the National Wildflower Research Center was my way of repaying some of the debt of the delight and sustenance nature has given me all my life. Mrs. Johnson envisioned the Wildflower Center as a nationwide clearinghouse for information about wildflowers and native plants. The inaugural gift establishing the center came from Mrs. Johnson in the form of 60 acres of land east of Austin and $125,000 for initial funding. The Wildflower Center's formal charter was signed on October 21, 1982, And on December 22nd, the center opened in celebration of Lady Bird's 70th birthday. Today, the center is named after Lady Bird Johnson, and it operates as part of the University of Texas. It has become one of the country's leading research institutions and effectively advocates for native plants, not just in Texas, but for the whole country. Lady Bird said it herself when she said, quote, 
Some may wonder why I chose wildflowers when there are hunger and unemployment and the big bomb in the world. Well, I, for one, think we will survive, and I hope that along the way we can keep alive our experience with the flowering earth. For the bounty of nature is also one of the deep needs of man. That's a classy lady. And, yeah, and I can't think of a better way to sum up the uh, uh, the reasons for preserving uh, the natural world around us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, it's a, it's a trademark of Texas. Yeah. Well, and what has amazed me about this was that I didn't realize there's 800,000 acres of highway right-of-way in the state of Texas. Yeah. And and they seed every single acre with 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 not just bags of blue bonnets, but with carefully cultivated and and planned out seeds uh, and plants for the particular area that they're seeding. So that it's it's not just we're we're taking a truck out and throwing out bags of blue bonnet seeds out in the fields on the on the medians. It's actually planned and and targeted for what they're going to do, which is pretty amazing to me. Yeah, it's really cool. And I, I've always thought about Lady Bird Johnson, and I knew she was, uh, but I didn't realize like the extent of what the Wildflower Research Center did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and they actually have some. Uh, Annex and adjunct centers throughout the country. I know they have one in uh, Minnesota that they've opened up. So it's pretty pretty amazing what they've done. And, and a lot of the cities and municipal areas have have kind of followed suit. I know Plano has a really a really big park up near where Scott lives. Uh, it's a Blue Bonnet Park. I think it's like a blue a small Blue Bonnet Trail uh, where it's a strip of green belt through the city. Uh, and they have blue bonnets there every year, and a lot of people go there to take their pictures with their kids, as is mandated. Yes, by law. Yeah, yeah. Not my my not really. It just seems like yeah. My wife maybe wanted my wife asked me to tell a story though about the blue bonnets. So when our son was a baby, uh, she was in a in a group with her church group uh, of new moms, and and they they all said, well, let's let's go take pictures with blue bonnets. Let's take pictures with blue bonnets. Yeah, that's a great idea. And uh, there was one young lady uh, who is not from Texas. She's from Missouri. And uh, so they showed up with a, with the baby with a blue bonnet on her baby's head. And uh, they were like, like a, like a blue bonnet. <laughs> and she was like, wait. <laughs> so everybody's like, what? Why did you do that? Well, I didn't understand why you're so excited about blue bonnets. So I went out and got a blue bonnet. But she didn't know what she didn't realize what blue bonnets were, what blue bonnet flowers were. So she said, oh, I get it now. These are blue bonnets. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty great yeah i guess to the untrained eye they uh they just see a beautiful flower and not an icon of a great state yeah or what is amazing to me also not it shouldn't be amazing it's not surprising in any way shape or form that an aggie um made a maroon made blue, a maroon yeah blue bonnet. What, yes. what's amazing yes. though is that he called it the alamo fire or the yeah <laughs> <laughs> or the texas have, maroon you know, I'm surprised that there's not swaths of them all over College Station, everywhere you can look. Maybe there are. I just haven't been down there in the spring in forever. So, the Lupinius Revelus, perhaps. And I wonder why the why the the Tejanos call it the rabbit El Conejo. I don't know. That's a that seems like a good <laughs> thing a, to to research for a podcast. Yeah. Interesting on the Wikipedia page for the Indian paintbrush. I, I they had a picture, and I think it was from like central russia 
where where the uh, where the picture was taken, and it was a field of Indian paintbrushes. It's like wow, that's that's a different name, <laughs> that's a different meaning in Russia than it does in America. Flowers are beautiful, so get out there and enjoy those flowers, folks. Spring is in the air. So this month, April, is Texas Wildflower Month. So go out and enjoy the wildflowers wherever you go. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. Follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I'm Scotticus. You love this show, and you love Texas, and you love supporting us. So do your duty. Get out there and tell your friends to listen to our show and leave a review because it really helps us to find listeners just like you. And be a true fan. Support the show financially. Go to patreon.com slash Podcast where you too can become a come-and-take-it-Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.